Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. We have a really special guest this show, and I'm really excited about these people. I got a chance to play D&D with them at Winter Fantasy earlier this year and was really excited about what they're doing. Today we have with us Phil Cole and Blas Javier of the Living Taldoray campaign. Now, Taldoray, if that doesn't ring a bell immediately, is the setting for the first campaign of Critical Role, and these folks have about 30 adventures written in that in that campaign setting, and they're ready for everybody to play, and we're going to learn a little more about that today. So, our get-to-know-you question is, what is your favorite class in 5th edition, and why? Who'd like to go first? Laws, you want to start us off? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, my Actually, my favorite was originally a... I was fun of fighter because I was always into the... Uh, getting in, into the front and just wailing in combat. And, um, and the 5e fighters are badass. They are, they are. Uh, one that I had fun with uh, in Winter Fantasy was the Battlemaster. I landed a couple 19, so it was very nice. Yeah. Um, but my new favorite actually is the artificer class. Um, the yeah. subclass, uh, battlesmith. Yeah. Th that one's a lot of fun, especially how I like to role play and, um, I'm big on lore and, you know, talking about things I make and being somebody who's a tinker and makes things is always fun for me. So you're an Eberron fan then? It's funny, like, I didn't understand Eberron until it came out, but yeah, I'm a, I love the setting, especially with all the aircrafts and, and how it's a mix of magic and technology. Oh, I love to hear that. I, I've become a bit of an Eberron fanatic myself. I've written a couple of things in it, and so I'm like, yay! <laughs> Jenny, what is your favorite class in 5e? My favorite class? Is it class Sorcerer or Warlock? I bet it's Warlock. No, it's not Warlock. You had it right with your first guess because I <laughs> I am the Sorcerer. You know, um, Sorcerer was my first 5e character, uh, Calypso, the Draconic Sorcerer Tiefling, and continues to be my favorite um, class because it's it's really just, it, it's such a, it's useful. So you can um, solve all of your problems with fire, of course. But then it's also like, you can be such a great asset to your team. I've definitely had a lot of games where I was like, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna twin cast haste on uh, you, the paladin, and you, the sharpshooter crossbow expert. 
fighter, and then the whole table will be like, yeah! And I'm like, my work here is done. So, <laughs> or, right. or, you know, so greater, greater invisibility, whatever. Yeah. I'm Good sorry, class. can I just jump in real quick? Sure. Of course. I am in love with the Storm Sorcerer uh, subclass. It is so much fun. It really is. Yeah, I really like that one too. I've uh, I had a chance to play that one recently. I was draconic through and through. I you know love some wild magic, but I for I for I forget to roll on the tables. <laughs> so Storm Sorcerer, that was great. Ah, uh, uh, Phil, what's I'm your? Not gonna lie, I was thinking cleric the whole way through, but all this sorcerer talk got me on divine soul again. I haven't played oh. it to twenty like I have. Uh, cleric and wizard but man those are two great tastes that taste great together that is certainly true that is certainly true what's your favorite flavor of cleric then uh i would have to say life but i use my spell list offensively because of the bonus to healing there's nothing like uh, casting spirit guardians and then wading into a whole group of stuff dodging yeah i'm the main tank and the main healer all such an op move too you're like so like hold on guys i got this yeah, it's like, you know, go grab a snack. It's fine. Dodge until sure? win. Are you sure it's not the arcane cleric one? Because oh. I remember a specific cleric <laughs> that my wizard had issues with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I made an arcana cleric, but I played him as a wizard. So, like, I'd use all my spells neat, in a wizardly neat. fashion. And, you know, he, was play- he happened to be playing a sorcerer in that campaign, so... The rolls just went my way a couple times, and I, I got more than once I got to scream, oh, I'm the greatest wizard ever. And he's just kind of like, yep, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's okay. funny how that works out when you're just doing it for the laughs, and you're like, ha-ha, it worked. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was one combat. Um, most of the people were down, and in one round, I, I shocking grasped someone, and then I... I think I banished somebody else that had a banishment on the party. I brought back like five players in one turn. It's just like, yeah, you know, I'm banish the banishers, but I'm not. Age, are you the palala? Cleric is is not something I usually went with in previous editions, but it's just so strong in five E. Like they really are. They they did it right. Yeah. Like yes. You can be good at whatever you want to be good at with a cleric. And that usually is just a wizard's domain, but I don't feel like that's necessarily true anymore. Absolutely. Uh, Jenny, my first 5e character was a paladin, but you're right. But my favorite is actually super esoteric. Rob Schwab on his Max Press imprint has a warlord up on drive through RPG. It's called the Call to Arms, the, the Warlord for 5th Edition. And uh, it is smoking. I really, really enjoyed Warlords in 4th Edition. And the Battlemaster for 5th gets me close, and the Paladin for 5th gets me close, but they're not quite there. So I really enjoy the the... Warlord as reimagined for 5th edition by Rob Schwab. Third Ed Warlord was sweet. Like yeah, they were. Like being able to use, the, what was it, like Battle Cries or something? The party-wide mm-hmm. shout buffs that you gave? Which yeah. Is so good. But I, we played a lot of Third Ed. We played a little bit of Second. Skip Fourth entirely because, you know, everybody else did too. 
You and, know, uh, <laughs> that's a shame. Fourth edition, like, it's a really good game. Yeah, but I've played a lot of WoW, so I feel like I've already done it. And maybe so, but a lot of the things that we learned in fourth edition that we liked, we kept for fifth edition. Things I like that. daily powers and at will powers and all that. I do kind of like stuff. the idea of cooldowns. Like I'm not not yeah. opposed to it in any way. I, I think it's good game design and it opens up a lot of avenues for how you can use your action economy. But, yeah, but I just wanna I if I want to do cooldowns, I'm just gonna pull out one of the D D board games. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot easier to explain to my friends who haven't played either so it's dnd light Woo. yeah it kind of is i know there's a there's one or two i forget the name of the board game but it's 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 like a dungeon and you can play through it and then you know somebody's working with you and somebody's like specifically against the party and you got to figure out who it is. And it was like a really popular board game but then they made oh, it. Oh, Betrayal. Yes. Yeah, 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 Betrayal. Yes. Betrayal yeah. at Baldur's Gate. Yeah, it used to be Betrayal at Haunted... House on the Haunted yes. Hill. House That's on the, the Haunted one. Hill. Exactly. And, which is a fabulous game. I absolutely recommend playing that one. It's hilarious. Uh, but on to Living Talderay. Yeah. So, uh, Phil and then Bloss, would you introduce yourselves and tell our audience a bit about you? Who you are, what you do... And uh, and how you got here, and your role with the Living Talderay campaign, maybe your role with the Living Talderay campaign. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my name's Phil Cole. Uh, this all started for me, uh, New York Comic Con, I believe, two years ago now, maybe three. I bought an uh, I bought an autograph to to get like the five seconds with Mercer to basically make this pitch, and he said, "So long as we're not selling merch, we're good to go." So I kind of took that and just ran with it. Um, I'm the head admin. I'm the one who has the final say in the rules and who sets the way things go and decides the overarching story and everything else. But it, there's a there's a lot more to it, you know, when it comes to running games, travel preparation. You know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, editing, social media. Like there's a, there's a lot of different things, but. I basically write most of the modules, not all. I try to hand off as much as I can, but it tends to work out that way and figure out what cons we go to. And um, basically I'm just, I'm just the guy who's herding cats, more or less how it works out. Hopefully we- uh, Project uh, management. Yeah. I mean, in the end though, everybody, mostly everybody who's played the game has had fun or come back for more. So we must be doing something right. That's sure true. That that's really you know if people are coming back. You've you've done it right. That's what we're all about. I mean, this isn't entirely a fan project. The idea is that um, this will be a campaign to twenty that critters could pick up now, five years from now, ten, twenty. However, whenever they get to it or find it, it will be there waiting for them. All right. Well, what about you, Bloss? What's your role in the campaign? How'd you get here? Uh, funny story. So um, I had recently moved from uh, from Dallas, Texas, and um, met Phil through me just trying to find people to play D and D with. Um, when he brought this idea to me, I had actually never seen Critical Role. I'm just a guy who loves lore and who loves playing in a way others don't see. Um, so. 
I started with the uh, second campaign, which is where I only saw clips of the first campaign, and I was like, oh, these guys are hilarious. This is perfect. Um, and then uh, I came in on board to help with tweaking out modules, seeing where things can go wrong, or if Phil hasn't didn't see this path to open up, uh, open uh, path, show him the way that I opened up this pathway to, to going by the mod. Yeah, playtesting has been one of the things we've needed the most so far. Like I bet. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're not like a big 5e group. You know, we don't have mo multiple different groups running it all across the world. Like, you know, it's, it's me, Blas, and whoever we can cobble together pretty much. So let's, let's back up a step. So what is living Taldoray? Let's, let's assume that, that you got to take them from, from nothing, take people from nothing, explain it. What is living Taldoray? Uh, it's a fifth edition setting based on Matt Mercer's uh, critical role world of Exandria, specifically on the continent of Taldoray. Um, if you were making a character just brand new, fresh out of the gate, you'd take either 27 point by or, um, or standard array to make your stats. You can build any class character combination that's legal from what we have on our FAQ, which is pretty much everything with the exception of flying races in Warforged and Centaurs. As soon as I can figure out how Centaurs wear pants, we're right in there, but I don't have an answer for that today. Is it on all four legs or just the back two legs? These no, questions... I've seen the picture and all the versions are awful. Are this, okay, listeners, this is what we need to know. You can chime in when we post this. Where do centaurs wear pants? Carry, um, carry on. <laughs> but do they have to wear pants? I mean, there's things called kilts. I feel they'd be wearing kilts. Yeah, but then where, we where, do they, where, where do they wear the kilt then? Yeah, I, just, I just pictured like the very thin waist kilt. Like, oh, the, the problems that would create kind of doesn't do what it's supposed to do at that point. And you see, this is, you know, these are the problems that go on inside my head. Honestly, look, look, listen, hear me out, hear me out. So you have the front part of the kilts, and then you know how the royal, all the royal horses have like those blanket styles that like cover their entire yeah. bodies? That's how it'd be, because then you just have like a belt by the waist, the blanket back, and the kilt front. I'm saying. I guess, but then it's like you're giving all centaurs half plate, and then it becomes ECL issues and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, it's a slippery slope, and this is the problem with designing in 5e. Because especially in organized play, you have to assume that somebody's going to do the most broken thing they can do at any point in time because, obviously. You start out trying to put a kilt on a horse and you end up with it in full plate and you're like, oop, my bad. It's a slippery slope. Oh, man. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, organized play is kind of a difficult beast to design for. Um, so your your campaign it's a it it's based on 5e right but how is it yes. different from regular 5e just like the in general obviously well, we uh we try to focus more on the three pillars of social exploration combat than just necessarily combat and our story is designed to have player interaction like we have questionnaires in the back of every mod if you send those in to us, like I have an Excel spreadsheet and I record all the answers and like NPCs will change how they talk to people or change their motivations entirely depending on what players do. And when we run live at conventions, it's also the same thing. 
you know, I've had buildings change. I've had people die. People find other people like you name it. All sorts of different things happen over the course of us running mods live. And the idea is that the players themselves can shape the story of the world. Like this isn't, this isn't our story. We're just curators. Like it's really meant to be the players driving what happens. And I, I think that's really what makes us different as far as an organized campaign goes. Cause most of them have a set plan. Ours, I'm more or less running it like a home game. I'm bouncing everything off that we write off of the players. And eventually, you know, once we're past the season, there will be critter created content, which will be our version of CCCs where players will do stuff that'll spawn entire modules based around those actions. And those will also be on the website and available. Ritter created content, CCC. Yeah, exactly. Just not. I love it. Point of inspiration convention. for that man. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not trying to rip off convention created content because ours is going to focus a lot differently than AL's. Our focus is going to be tier three and tier four as opposed to one and two. Why is that? I don't think there's enough high tier content that exists. I just, I don't. Like, I enjoy playing at high levels, and I feel like having to slog through 95% of a book to get the tier four levels being the last two or three pages of a book is kind of crap. And I just, I just don't. I mean, it's like, why get to the top if there's nothing there waiting for you? Oh, interesting. Interesting. 5e is not new. You know, this, this has been out for years now. Sure. So what are the choices that you and Bloss and your team have made to include or exclude in your, in your game? Like what's, what things are, obviously you said no centaurs and no warforged uh, or flying races. Um, no flying races for tier one. We do have sure. DM rewards that will allow you to, like you could play a, you could play an Aarakocra if you did DM rewards and started your character at five. Like that's, a, that's oh, interesting. Well, you just try to keep it so that it doesn't imbalance lower level modules. Like the mm -hmm. biggest things for us, there's no out of tier item trades. Like you can't, you can't pick up a hardcover. Like there's no curse of straw. There's no, you know, cloud giants bargain. There's no tomb of annihilation. Those just simply don't exist in the system. They're problematic. They're not written with an organized play in mind. They created no end of problems in AL that have spawned a lot of the chaos that you've seen recently with the giant season shakeups because you've got these unkillable player monsters walking around that you can't write for. And we've seen that problem and have tried to circumvent it in the way that we hand out items. Like we've gone through, none of our mods hand out an unusable or crap item. Every module hands out at least one good item, sometimes two, sometimes one to the entire party. But what they are is curated. It's designed that season one, which is already completed, if one party sat down and ran all of it, an entire group of seven people would be well accompanied with items. Like everybody could have what they want by the end of the season. Cool. The other thing is we wanted to really get that story uh, part out there. Like a lot of times lately I've read it and read a lot of modules that are just... Um, incomplete in how you want players to be engaged and that's the other thing is where we have talking points for our characters yes. the, the npc so that way you're talking to an npc you're not getting info dumped on you yeah it's more than just exposition and that's part of the reason for the questionnaires too 
if you've got the edge lord that wants to murder every shopkeeper eventually that's going to come back on not just him but adventures in the region as a whole so what are some ways that living Taldoray well is different than adventurous league like what what decisions have you made that are different uh well we've abolished the php plus one rule i wanted to see how it went with season one it has not significantly uh, impacted player power in any way it's it's been a flavor choice for the people who've run it and i really don't see any uh benefit to continue to to instituting it and so i won't um blaz uh, like Phil also said, we cater, um, curated our what magical items we give out so that way you don't have a high-powered Tier 2 character just steamrolling uh, what we've written and how we've um, balanced the, the uh, combats. And that, there's more to it than that, too, because because this is an organized play system, eventually seasons down the line you're going to have people going through and cherry picking what modules they want to get the specific items that they're looking for and that's something that we plan for from the start we always expected this to occur and and i will be setting things in a way that will keep the worst abuses down like that's that's part of it too is, is our experiences running adventures league is is what we're drawing off of for writing this game we've seen the horror monsters that people make. Like I I've made one or two myself and so is Blas and so have other people that we've run with. And, you know, we've taken those to epics and just absolutely mud stomp things. Like it's, it's fun. It is, but it's fun for one or two people at the expense of an entire table. And once yeah, you that, get the uh, congratulations, I won D and D for you. Yeah, kind of and, thing. Yeah. And that's, that's just not the game we're looking to run. And, and part of that comes down to, NPCs that the players can engage with, situations that are actually balanced that the entire party has to work together, and a story that overall they have a chance to affect. But my wife, I've been trying to get her to play Adventures League for years, and she's really been against it. And she uses the Indiana Jones fallacy, and I, I can't argue Which it. Is... That say you're an adventurer in, an, in the season, right? Nothing you do matters. The plot will continue regardless of whether or not you're there. Your actions mean nothing. You have no impact on the world. Nothing you do matters. And it's true. If you're, if you're adventuring in that world, win or lose, we've been at epics where the planet blows up, you know, and, and nothing really changes. You know, nothing you do has an impact on the story. Whereas we've had players who played in our trials and played in our mods directly impact the story of events, just not, not only in season one, but going forward. What do you mean by trials? What's a trial? They're basically our versions of, the, of epics is the easiest way to explain it. They're, uh, they're multi-table cooperative events that we usually run at conventions, though I would like to branch that out, where basically you have a main line to us. Like if you wanted to do your thing and have it be noticed by admins and major staff and whoever, this would be where you do it. Like it's, it's the main interaction point we have for players. Like I don't, I don't play the events. I, I sit at a table and run them. And so does Blas and so does a, a couple of other people. And, you know, that's a chance for people to actually, you know, one, not one-on-one, -on -one, but like six or seven-on-one -on -one impact the story. And that's something we want to run more of. And, you know, we've learned a little bit. We've, we've made some mistakes early on and we got better, but 
it, it, all of this is a work in progress. Like we're, we're not a rich group of people. Like we're not a corporation. We're just a bunch of guys running games. So, you know, we're, we're limited by the resources we have access to. Like when it came to winter fantasy, like I, I drove the 10 hours because that's just the only option that was available. You know, we do what we got to do. So how did all this get started? So you had the idea at, you said at New York Comic-Con a while back. How does it go from, I think I'd like to write some stuff in Tal'Darae to I'm going to administrate a campaign with 30 adventures that anybody can play and, and, and deal with a, a network of people who want to play them. It started out by running a terrible intro that I ran a whole bunch of times and learned a whole bunch while running. And we just kept going. Like, it's just, it sounds really ridiculous, but I just, just kept going. Bought a website, started putting everything up. I didn't even know we were getting downloads until July. Like, we started in February. Like, I don't, I don't even have time records for, like, everything that from uh, second week of February to, like, second week of July. Like, everybody who visited the website or downloaded stuff, I have no idea. Because I didn't have money to update the the metrics to get that. So, but since then, we've had hundreds of downloads of every mod. We've had about a uh, thousand or so people download the 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 player's handbook. We've been visited by every continent on the country and on the planet except for Antarctica. And I'm sure if penguins came, cared about Critical Role, they'd do it too. But you know, <laughs> for having no marketing budget whatsoever, and just you know going everywhere with gas and tolls we've come a long way in a year so it's only been a year but my understanding is you're now on season two right yeah so how did season one go what'd you learn (laughs) what really worked well and what are you going to change up for next time what worked well that's an interesting question um i think season one was more about survival and learning because none of us are industry insiders. You know what I mean? Like we don't have previous projects to fall back on. We just really, well, I I personally really want to make a campaign in this system. Like we were talking about this a little bit before, but um, my whole thing was when I first started playing back in second ed, I wanted to hit level 20. I was like 15 years old didn't know anything, was like, I want to see what high-level play is like. And our home campaign died, like so many do. And the stack of characters that, in my mind, didn't get there just grew and grew and grew over time until finally 5th um, edition comes around. And I, I said to myself and the other players, I was like, look, I'll play D&D again, but please, and I actually begged them, please, don't let this campaign die. Like we all took turns running arcs so that nobody would burn out. And that was my first introduction to running. And we got to level 17. It's, you know, 1150 and a 12 a.m. Sunday start. Phone rings. The person who was picking up our campaign dropped it and ended it there. And I was just, just furious. Like, like literally begged p- people not to do it and they did it anyway. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm done with five. I'm done with Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not, not going to bother. I'm sick of having my heart broken. And then I found out about Adventures League. Went to uh, our first epic, which was Ark of the Mountain. Had an absolute amazing time. 
was Ark like, of the Mountain this... is a great game. Oh, wow. Still to, the, still to today, having played or run all of the ones since, I can say that's easily my favorite. And that's not just nostalgia. It's, it's how it's designed. It's how it's ran. The maps are great. The NPCs are great. The, the setting's great. Everything about it is great. Inner table play. All of those awesome elements made for a great event. And, and that day, Adventurers League stole my heart. And it's because of Adventurers League that I eventually got to level 20 with not just one, but two characters. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's really hard to get a group together to play a critical role campaign. And if it was that hard for me playing just anything for critters to want that in Exandria is basically not impossible. So I said, mm, what if it wasn't? And that's, you know, that's the plan that eventually became Living Tal'Dorei. So why Tal'Dorei? Like, I'm a critter. I mean, that's the easiest reason. So why are you a critter? What is it that turns you on about crit roll? Oh man, how much time so do we lo- have for this one? Right? <laughs> the, the thing is, like, a lot of people say they're not real D&Ders, but that is just not true. Like, if you watch them for any length of time, you've seen everybody at that table at one of yours over time. Like, the Edgelord... The people who, you know, cast their spells through their dick, like, you know, you name it. Every, every archetype to, I've to seen. To be fair, to is, be fair, there is no one at my tables that will cast a spell through their dick. Because so I will far. shut that shit down so <laughs> fast, it'll leave a sonic boom that'll rattle the doors in three states. You get my meaning, though. Like, they're, oh, they yeah. are <laughs> players to the core. Like, they got to name a ship and they named it the Ball Eater. Like... I, I mean, I'm sitting here with my hands up, like I, I don't even know. Like I, I could just I could feel the hurt on Matt's face when he's like, I, I went through all this, I made you a regal ship, gave you the opportunity to name it, and you named it the ball eater. Like, oh Bodie McBoat face. That face. <laughs> you know? If you've run a homebrew campaign, you've looked at your players like that at least once. And it's fair, just, fair. there's so many great moments because you know, they're voice actors. They're not regular off the street players like myself and Blas and everybody else. Like they have a set of skills that translates uniquely well to D and D and their mutual respect at the table only makes that better. They're kind of a shining example of what D and D can be. I don't know about necessarily should be because we're not all voice actors and we don't all have the ranges that they do, but as far as respect for each other and the narrative as a whole, there's a lot to be learned from watching them. So personally, um, I think people forget that D&D is a role-playing game and you role-play a character. Now people sometimes forget that not everybody's character is going to be the same and you can't expect everybody to be a grog, everybody to be a scanlin, you know, everybody is not going to be, oh, I know how to perfectly use this magic item. No, there's a person who's going to be, oh, I got a magic item. I know half of what it does. I'm going to remember none of it. But at one point, it's going to pop in my head, and I'm going to be like, oh, I pulled out this magic. It doesn't work. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, but they're playing their character. And it's different from the understanding of being a player and being a character. And that's the beauty of what I love about Critical Role is these guys may or may not know that they have all these magical items, or they just like, would my character really remember this at this point? And so on and so forth, which is what uh, I guess 
Grog would be my favorite character in season in uh, campaign one because of the fact how he's always just not always there. And there are times I've played that character myself, like, huh, wait, what? And we're trying to kill something? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm on in. And then just like at the end of the day, just be like, my character's just not around. And everybody's else making a plan and they're just like, hey, just that direction. And I'm like, let's go. And I walk that direction. But, you know, we have these stats and we have to understand that our characters have our have flaws we give them and things like that. And it's a role play game, not just there to just combat things or there to be someone else, be in theater like you wanted to beforehand, but you couldn't because your class schedule wouldn't allow it. But that that's what I see about that's what I love about Critical Role is how they'll bring their characters to life. Like anybody can be a true I fear nothing hex blade, but yeah, you got Ford here like, oh no, I'm running. And then you have him then like, no, hold on, I gotta I gotta help my friends somehow kind of deal. So that's what I love about Critical Role. And that's part of what we're trying to capture in the game. Like we don't want there to be linear paths to everything. We want players' unique ways of handling situations to be a viable path to defeating a mod. And that sounds easy, and it's really not. Because trying to plan every possible path an adventurer could take, these mods would be like 600 pages. Which is why we have it designed the way we do, where combat's only a third of the XP of any given module at best. Like even if, even if you're fighting enough XP to technically level an entire group, what we give out is based on what the situation calls for, not just a flat static number. Yeah, there's um, particularly at the higher levels, and you mentioned that a lot of your mods go to higher levels. There's some real disconnects between challenge rating, XP given, and player competency. That's really a, an AL problem, not, not gonna lie, because you've got, You've got these hardcovers handing out items that players shouldn't have, and you've got some people who are an entire party unto themselves and other people who might have gotten to Tier 4 with one or no magic items. This is all previous seasons, mind you, not the current. I know it's, I know it's different now, but for the time, you know, there's, there's a wide variance in what players can do, and that makes it difficult to write for because you can write a, an encounter that's challenging for normally you know, average-geared group of players and even that becomes a bit of a problem. But once you start throwing in people who are like, you know, ridiculously overpowered, it then becomes harder to balance the top tier content, which is a lot of, I, I'm just guessing, a lot of why Wizards just shied away from really diving into it. Because you, you, cannot, you can't make everybody happy all the time. But we kind of can. That is can. for sure true. We kind of can, though. Because things don't exist for you to get that makes certain combinations or class abilities stronger than the others. Like the fact that we don't hand out plus weapons means things like Kensai are now relevant where they never were before, or like having sharpshooter or great weapon fighting is now an actual penalty instead of just free damage or you can't be. Why is one. it an actual penalty? Well, if you, uh, if you have plus magic weapons, right? Let's say you're tier three and everybody's rocking their plus three weapon. Now all of a sudden, sharpshooter and great weapon fighting only cost you a minus two for mobs that you most likely hit on three or better anyway. 
because at least as far as I've run, I'm sure Blas can say the same. Like I've I've looked around the entire table running AL and been like, all right, who doesn't hit this on a two? And it's like everything. And then I look at the the monsters I have, and it's like, all right, well, five of you have cloaks of displacement, so I need 19 or better or straight 20s disadvantage to hit any of you. Awesome. And that those are not necessarily 5e problems or even system problems. It's just an organized play thing because you have people going through and cherry picking the items that they want to get. Or you have tables in stores where people are just playing pickup games and they don't have that opportunity. We had in our home games because that's how I, I ran my home game. I said, you know, who wants what? I'll get it for you. We'll run the things that get everybody what they want. All you have to do is show up but not every table's like that. And because we know how to break the system, we know how to fill those gaps. Interesting, interesting. So your goal is to get to 20 every season? Yes, every season from this on will go to 20. Season one was kind of like a test season. We were learning. We were trying to figure out where we were. Story-wise, um, our season one, goes along the last season of campaign one. So the main heroes, Vox Machina are out walking the plains and doing their thing. And they're not really on the physical continent much at all. So the idea of our season was to be, you know, the regular adventurers, i.e. the players are the ones who are defending Amon, the capital city and, you know, out and about in the world actually doing stuff. Cause Matt says in the show that there are other groups of adventurers out there. I took that to mean the players. That's, that's how I read it. So in order to really enjoy living Talderay or to really enjoy your first season, do I have to be current on Critical Role? Do I have to be a critter to really get it? No, you don't have to be. The, the season story, if you know campaign one, the last season, the timeline will, will make sense as you follow it. If you don't know the story of the actual show, the, mod, the mods themselves will tell you what's going on. Like, you don't have to be a critter to play season one. It helps. There's, there's references and in-jokes that, you know, you'll get if you, if you know to look for them. But if you don't, it's no big deal. It's, it's still a fun campaign. Or at least that's what I've been told. Uh, remember, Paige, I didn't see campaign one, and I still enjoyed the first season when, when I played Tessitic. I don't, I don't know all the inside jokes, but I still had fun because I had my character that I believe was awesome for this world at, at the time. Um, I believe Phil knows officially named Greg. Yep. So your bugbear. Yep. So that's that's what it is. Is this is for you to build that character you really did not realize you wanted to build and run with people you j- want to meet at different cons and be like, hey, this is so and so. Like when you met Mac and Cheese uh, with our season two. This is Mac, and I, so I introduced myself as Mac and. My steel defender is cheese, and um, that's we, what it is. You don't have to be on to critical role. Just we're here to make sure you can have fun, whether you want to or not be a part of the critical role. We've drawn an eclectic group of people so far. Like a lot of our players have been far more character based than rules based, and I, I really dig that. Like for the first trial, people were showing up cosplaying their characters, and I, I thought that was the best. Oh, that really? That's, yeah. yeah. I find that to be I was, super cool. I was genuinely shocked. I mean, for our first trial, one of the main villains of the season, like I, I actually like basically LARPed him 
because I'm, I'm an old school arbor from back in the day. So I had a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, I, I thought I was going to be the only one, you know what I mean? And three or four people showed up in garb and I was just like, all right, who are you? And they told me their characters. And I was like, yes, this is perfect. Like, this is what I'm looking for. Like, you don't have to show up to the game dressed and stuff, but if you do, I'm certainly not going to hate. I did it myself. That's I mean, pretty I was, awesome. I felt that was very underdressed when I saw all these cosplay costumes. And like, <laughs> I, I couldn't even find a robe. That's all right. I'll, I'll let you go through our, uh, our stuff for the next one. So, well, oh, go ahead, Jenny. Well, I mean, I'm not a critter myself, but with all of this, it just sounds very exciting. So, I mean, what I want to know, what I'm sure our listeners want to know too, is how do I get involved with this? Like, what do I do to run these games or play them? Well, all of our modules are free to download at livingtaldori.com. The idea is that these modules will always be free for everyone forever. Like they're, they're not, I'm not doing this for money. Like their money would help. Not going to lie. Like travel and things you know, are, are becoming a bit of an issue as we start traversing the country. But the idea is that anybody can pick these mods up. You download the PDF, you run them, you log them on the log sheets that we also have uh, available for free download. And that's it. As long as your character's logged, your table could fall apart. You could move across the country, move to Australia, Sweden, wherever. As long as your logs are legit, you are good to go. You could pick up right where you left off. It's so a campaign that moves with you. Don't have to like register to do nope. anything? Nope. And when you say keep logs, so as long as I write down what happens to my character and what they did, yep. I'm good to go. Yep. All the information that's required is on our log sheets, which is like story awards, XP, magic items, uh, gold. There's a spot for character notes, you know, stuff that like if you talk to somebody and something really cool happened that you want to mark it down, you can, you know, all of your basic information is, is, is there and it's, you know, it travels with you. And that's really the thing because home campaigns fall apart. Sometimes there's nothing anybody can do about it but organized play lasts forever. And that's the real difference. Okay, well, on, on that note then, what if you're like Paige and I and you want to do more than just run games? How can someone help the campaign? Or if people want to write for it or help you do social media. I mean, yeah, that's, that's one way of helping the campaign. Writing is super, would be super helpful, I, I you know, assume, right? Yeah, certainly wouldn't say no to that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of the writing. I've been really, and Blas can attest to this, I've tried really hard to to not try to monopolize the writing and, and let other people take their shots at it with mixed success. But, you know, that's how it goes. Um, as, far as, as far as writing goes, we do have open submissions on our website, livingtaldori.com. Um, uh, if you wanted to run the game somewhere, it's as easy as letting us know, like say you wanted to run at a dragon con or something. All you'd have to say is, you know, I'd like to run the game. I'd be like, all right, do you, do you want to run these tiers? Like what mods are you looking for? Do you want to do a trial? Cause I have them now. First trial was a bit of a mess. We kind of had to run that one on the go. That was that convention that I was telling you about that went so crazy. The first trial was at that convention. Right. So you had a lot of things going on that was only the beginning of what happened. Like we got left off the organized play schedule. So nobody even knew we were there. Like it was a whole, whole mess of stuff. So that trial is lost. Nothing I can do about that. I had to rewrite most of it at the con as I went. So there aren't hard and fast, like 
there isn't a book that I could send people. Our second trial that we ran, there actually is like I, I have a, a full mod basically that I could either print or send. When it comes to current seasons, you know, there's going to be a module for the trials that if you want to run them, I could just send it to you. All you'd have to do, log the stuff, you're good to go. It's it's really it's it's designed to be as easy as possible for anyone to pick it up and run or play. And remember to send us the feedback of what happened because yes. we do yeah. want to bring those characters into future mods in a way yeah. where it's like we've already done it. May it. not be named, but you know, you'll read it and I'm like, oh my god, that's my character. So we want you to still be a part of it, whether you're a critter or not. When you join our campaign, we want to be able you're to be there. sure. You're we consider there. you there. Like a perfect example, right? There was a there was a group of adventurers. They showed up for the first trial. They called they called themselves the Beacons of Avidity. After the fact, in one of the later mods, I think it was sixteen, I actually hit them all up on Facebook, presented them with the situation, asked if they wanted to be in the mod, and then took their feedback. And their feedback became what their characters said to newer players in the mod. Oh, that's real touching. And that's, that's the stuff I want to be able to do. Like, I want to start a stream of Living Tal'Dorei and have references to the players that we've actually met and interacted with so that somebody could be watching the stream and see a group of characters doing something and hear their name get referenced and be like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I want to bring that moment to as many people as I possibly can. And that's really what this whole thing is about. Well, speaking of getting out and bringing this to as many people as you can, you've mentioned going to conventions a lot what are some of the conventions that you've been to uh, we did uh con con uh we did dreamation uh we did dexcon beta con i went to gen con but i was only running uh adventures league for that one so i can't really count that um i'm looking i actually i have like a and d beyond lanyard and i've been putting all my convention tags up on them as i went through the year so i'm kind of just looking at that right now um, we, uh, I myself wasn't a part of the uh, conventions uh, last year. I was part of the store tour where we toured, store, toured stores around the um, Pennsylvania area, New Jersey area, New York area. So, uh, But this year, uh, once we know what's going to happen with these cons, I'll probably be around more of those cons as well. Yeah, things are a bit up in the air for the con schedule for the rest of this year, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just a thing. That's just a yeah, thing. Nothing I, I can do about that. I, everyone's con schedule is just, we, we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. We've so been do you trying to uh, hedge more into online play. I've actually been learning Roll20 and I've started converting mods to it so that, you know, even if you can't go out, there's still ways you can play the game. And we also have our own Discord channel and I'm hoping to actually use that as the voice program and then run it through Roll20. That works pretty well. I'm not, I use Roll20 every week to run a game on Sunday nights. Nice. And uh, I do not care for the voice chat system in Roll20. I use Discord. That's, that's, uh, I, I played one game online. Like I, I played a, a tier four mod with a group of people and we did it that way and it worked out pretty well. So I'm, I'm hoping that'll work out. There's also this thing called AetherCon that, uh, that's like yeah, Aethercon's good thing. stuff. Yeah, I was hoping to run a trial through them this year too. So that way, you know, even if you can't make it to a convention, there's still ways to play. 
And that's, that's one of the tent poles of our organization is, you know, like we, we build fade chains into our mods. So like all the season one tier two mods of which there's like 15 or so, all of the magic items that drop in season one eventually become available for trade. So if, say you pick up garbage random magic item, right? So you have, you have garbage random magic rare that nobody else needed at the table and you picked it up. Mod 13 comes around and all of a sudden that thing you wanted is available for trade. So even if you pick up stuff that you don't want, eventually you can turn it into what you do. And you don't have to go to a convention to do that. It's just built into the mods. So what's next? Like 2020 is a thing. Like 2020 yeah. is like a whole thing. But like your five-year plan, what's, what's the, if you had your way, what would this look like in, in five years? We'd so take over the world. 2025. <laughs> yeah, I right. mean, obviously. All right, Pinky in the brain. <laughs> but yeah, now where do you see this going? Best case scenario, running a stream on Twitch. We already have the name set up. It's just a matter of getting equipment and putting a group together, which is, is a challenge, but you know, it's something we're working on. I want to be running online games on a regular basis. I'd like to be at more conventions that we're doing now, than we're doing now, like maybe get into something like uh, San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, like, you know, do panels, be able to actually interact with fans more and, you know, talk to critters and you know yeah that's that, the stream conventions and online play those that's that's the major plan i think that's how we get the game to as many people as possible i mean so I, more online play and more more people involved online play has become quite a thing in the last two or three years like it started as a low percentage but has really taken over it's become an exceedingly big thing in like the yeah. last uh, week or so. Well, that's yeah. true too. <laughs> so I think this is going to help your goal though, really. I mean, if you want to talk short-term growth, that's probably our best chance of going forward. Like at least, you know, short-term. For online gaming, now, yeah. now is the boom. Now yeah, is, we got, You know, we got to look, look at the silver lining here. But yeah, no, I am I'm excited to, to see where you guys go in the future with this. It's... Um, exciting campaign i could learn some more about critical role probably watch some episodes and all of my free time and then uh, the, play some sorry. online games yeah sorry not trying to jump in but that's that's part of how we go through writing it like i i have my campaign guide i have the wiki up i'm watching episodes like there's a there's a thing in season two where we sell a what's called the sand kegs hide and the description of it how it tastes, the reactions, everything. I went straight to the episode and, you know, just made sure that I had it all word for word. Like we build the history into the game. Like it's not just, you know, it's, you can tell it's written by critters. So tell us a little more about the critter created content that you want to enact at some point. Well, as we run into uh, higher tiers, we're going to be running at conventions. We're going to be running online and, you know, we're going to be taking submissions from, from people who want to write and letting people develop their own mods. And all of that leads to loose ends. And that's where critter created content comes in. We use those loose ends to become the focal points of stories for tier three and tier four mods. So once it turned, once we're on the, the four tier per season timeline, it's going to be about 30 mods every season. 
the season's going to start in February and usually end in November. But that still leaves, you know, two, three-ish month gap. And in those gap periods where there's no other content coming out, that's where we'll, that's where I plan to release the Critter Created content. So that, you know, there's something for people to not only play their high-level characters in, but something to kind of bridge that gap in content too. They'll be somewhat season agnostic, as that's kind of the, the basis for organized play. But we do have a timeline for our regular mods and I want players to be able to impact the story as a whole. And I thought that was one of the ways to do it. There are other things that we have working on, but some of them become easier with scale and other things become worse with scale. So it's, you know, it's a matter of finding what works, but player interaction is the foundation of this system. Like this is designed from the ground up to not only take player feedback, but act upon it. And I think that's really, I don't, I was, I was going to say there isn't anybody else doing it, but that's not entirely true. Baldwin Games with their Moonsea, moon uh, the mods are very much on that too. Moonshay. Moonshay, moon sorry, sorry. I, I know I know the CCC takes place in Moonsea and like, honestly, I, I've fallen out a bit with Adventures League in the past year or two because, you know, this has kind of taken over everything, but... 30 mods a year you sound pretty busy <laughs> it is um it has turned out to be a lot but you know critters are worth it and so i do what i gotta do i i'm, I'm over here like with my my writing schedule and i'm like what the <laughs> like, that's crazy that's a lot of work I, I i i have so much like respect and admiration for your 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 um yeah goals for his goals your goals and just like the sheer like i I don't know audacity is not the word here what's the word page tenacity tenacity (laughs) yeah like balls 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 is the word you're looking for (laughs) balls still (laughs) yes yeah you're you're put it out there but no great i'm thrilled i hope this goes like super well i want to i want to hear more about how everyone is playing this next year there's a lot of things we have in the pike but they uh i've been trying to get a hold of the critical world organization for a couple months now because they said no merch and that's fine but i've i've held back in any sort of gathering money for any reasons like i have a patreon that's sitting ready to go like we have twitch channel that's kind of ready to go and this there's a couple avenues that we could take to to monetize things and just pay for the gas and tolls and hotel rooms and and pages of stuff that i print and all that stuff that's entirely out of my own pocket which which are not deep but i do what i gotta do and i haven't pulled the trigger on any of that stuff because i haven't gotten through to the critical role organization yet and i don't know i i'm trying I'm, i'm trying that's all i can say that is a good attitude. And that is the attitude of a lot of people who are making 5e better for everyone. Well, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's, it's for the players. We, we just want to make games that people have a good time with. I think so far we've, we've accomplished that. I can't say that I disagree. Um, well, before we go ahead and wrap this episode, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? I would link to Patreon, but it's not up yet. Um, our website's the best way to contact me or Blaz or anyone else, um, livingtaldoria.com. We have a subreddit that has 
I don't know. Reddit's not very good. I don't know. It doesn't get a lot of traction. But we have a subreddit. Uh, we have our own Discord that I believe is also linked through the website. And uh, we, uh, we're on Twitter, at Living Tildore. And um, I think that covers our social media. We have Facebook groups. should mention that. We have multiple. We have multiple different Facebook groups. One for DMs, one for players, and then one for staff. But really, the the general one is where it's what we put the most activity on because it, it gives us a chance to talk to everybody at once, and that's usually better than putting things up piecemeal. We we're big on communication. Like when things go wrong, we say so. When things are early, we say so. Like there's been six mods we've put out early. Just I've had it done. And I'm I'm staring at it on my computer. I'm just like, all right, screw it, put it up. If it's done, we put it up. If it's not done, we you know get it done. And unfortunately, that's pushed back our our release schedule a little bit for um, four and five. Like they were actually supposed to be out the 13th, which is when we were going to BFGCon in Maryland, but um, the con got canceled, and then some stuff happened by us where you know now we have a curfew and there's all this crazy stuff so things are a little bit off track but we're getting there okay well we are gonna we have links to the the twitter the website facebook youtube discord and the reddit subreddit as well that we'll have up here um so why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the web if you want to be reached uh, the easiest way would be livingtaldori.com, which is our website. And then there's a there's a whole contact us page with contact at livingtaldori.com being our email. That's the easiest way. Like I, I check that email every day after I get out of work. Okay. Well, excited to hear that. Um, if neither of you have personal information to share, just go through the campaign then. So that is good to know. Paige, um, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? Excellent. So you can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. You can find me on Facebook at Paige Lightman. You can find me on my website that I share with my husband, and that's benandpagewright.com. You can find me, as always, on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G I N N Y L O V E D A Y. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram under the same thing. And you can find me on my website, JennyLoveday.com. That's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Please remember to like us on Facebook, leave a review on Facebook, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. We very much appreciate your support and feedback. Until next time, thanks.